Theology of the Body Institute, this is the Ask Christopher West Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Ask Christopher West Podcast. I'm here with my beloved wife, Wendy. Thank you, Wendy, for doing this with me. So happy to be here with you. This has been quite an experience for us now in our... Oh, seventh month, seventh I think, month of, of doing this podcast. Yes, thank How you all it? for listening and encouraging us. Yeah, and we really appreciate sending it. questions. You know, one of the fun things about doing this is connecting with old friends. You know, mm-hmm. through the podcast, I recently got a letter in the mail from someone I hadn't heard from in, you know, close to 20 years, I think, who heard our podcast and decided to look me up. So that's really fun, you know, just to have a means of of connecting yeah. and communion. And one of the questions, I'm going to surprise you with one of our listeners okay, here. Okay, here we go. Uh, the, the person who is sending this question is named Bong. Bong? Yes. How about that? So, you know who Bong is. Oh, that Bong? That Bong. Are you kidding me? No. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Like Emmy Bong? Emmy Bong. Oh, my word. How about that? So we had neighbors down the street growing up, the Bombergers, dear friends of the West family. They were called the Bomberg. Their last name was the Bombergers, but my sister Emily, uh, who was dear, dear friends, still is dear, dear friends with Emily Bomberger, couldn't say Bomberger. So the two M's, we call them M&M, right? Uh My sister Emily and Emily Bomberger, M&M. But Emily West could not say Emily Bomberger and said Emily Bongaburger. 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 And so they just got cut off to the bongs. Yeah. So we, we started, we called her Westie, Emmy M. West, and Emily Bomberger. We just called Bong. Yep. Emily Bong. Here's, so here's your question. Here's question. She says, hello, Christopher and Wendy. Can you share your dating and courtship story? Oh, yeah. good one. Emily Bong wants to know how we dated and fell in love and got married. So that would take a few episodes to give the whole story. <laughs> well, I, honestly, yes. We, last summer, we decided to share our story with our kids in some detail, and it, it took many hours many of conversation. Many hours, But yeah. we can give a short the version. The short version. Yes. So what do you want to share, Wendy? Well, okay, I can start. Yeah, That's you go totally ahead. totally fine. She did ask both of us, so yeah. I don't mind starting. Christopher and I met when we were both in college in 1991. And we were not at the same school, but we went to a Christian outreach that students from different schools came to. So that was where we met one another. Did you say the date? What it was nineteen ninety one? Oh yeah, nineteen ninety one. Long time. That was ago, a long friends. time ago. Long time. Ago. You were eighteen years old. You were about to turn nineteen. That's right. That was and I was young. I was twenty one, about to turn twenty two. Mm-hmm. That's right. So we met. There and um, I can remember very well the first impression I had of you because you stood up and gave a little sharing. Yeah, I remember the, that the, very well. The first time I attended it. Yeah, and you talked about kind of your your broken heart over your girlfriend mm-hmm. and how that became an occasion for real grace yeah. to be at work and a real conversion, a real leap of trusting God with your deepest fears and pains through going through that that breakup. Yep. That made a big impression on me, I think because you were just very honest. You know, you've always been, people who've heard you speak know that you share your heart, and mm-hmm. that was even true then when you were 21 and speaking to a bunch of 
fellow college students that sharing of the heart certainly made a big impression on me. And then I, I don't remember a lot except that maybe eight months later or something that we were singing together at this I remember uh, this that group. too. Yep. And we were kind of, not just the two of us singing, the whole group was singing like praise and worship music. But I, we, were, we were standing next to each other. I remember hearing our voices blending yeah. and it really kind of struck my heart. It kind of encouraged my prayer and blessed me the way your voice and my voice were sounding And I together. felt the same thing, yeah. but we didn't know that till a couple of years later That's when we right. shared the memory that we both had That's that experience. Right. So we didn't start dating right away or, you know, for a long time, but, but I just remember that as significant in our kind of noticing, mm-hmm. at least for me, for noticing you. And I, it wasn't long after that that I think I started to pay closer attention to this Christopher West guy. And I, in this group, I just found him to be friendly and real. And, th- and then I began to hear how he was praying for God to show him how to be a real man and what does it mean to be a man mm-hmm. for the Lord. And that certainly all touched my heart very much. And I imagine I had corresponding desires to know what it means to be a woman for the Lord. And so, and that's I, right when I was discovering John Paul's teaching for the right. first time. Right. So we were part of that Christian fellowship group for three years together. Mm-hmm. And it was during that time I discovered Theology of the Body, and I started talking about it. Yeah. And you asked me if I could come give a talk at your campus I at did. Catholic U. I did. Now, this is a couple of years later. Yeah, so this was 1994. Yep, in 1994. And you, you are the first person ever to invite me to give a talk on the Theology of the Body. That's right. And this was a very important step along the way for me, because at the end of that talk, you were asking very intelligent questions. Right. And it was the first time I went... Hmm. Yeah, I mean, we had had other fun exchanges in our friendship, but it wasn't a a close friendship. It was a friendship in a group of friends. I remember that in a particular way as well, that event when you came and spoke at my campus and shared the graces of the Lord in your life, and particularly through Theology of the Body, and that really... It spoke to my heart. It really did. And the questions came from my heart. Yeah, I could tell. So it was not until... Then you, you graduated that yeah, May, 94. And I, and I moved. Then you moved to New Jersey, and you called me yeah. in the fall of 94. Mm-hmm. Call, yeah, fall of 94. And I was going through a really hard time, and you had you somebody told you I was going through a hard time, and you reached out to me, and we, we ended up having this long-distance phone conversation for several months. Yeah. And uh, you, were, you were a nurse, practicing as a, a registered nurse. I was starting my studies at the John Paul II Institute, and we were falling in love over the phone. We didn't really realize it, but you were, you were also learning to be an NFP teacher, and you were sharing with me all you were learning about natural family planning. I was sharing with you all the theology yeah. I was learning, and, and we were having great Great conversations. And I said to you one night on the phone, I'll never forget. I know you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. You know, I, I wish, Wendy, that you didn't live so far away because we could be having these conversations together in person. Right. And on, on the other end of the phone, I heard this. <laughs> and I had no idea. It was just an awkward, strange moment. It was kind of weird. And then I got it. This was before email. That's how long ago this was. I got a letter in the mail a few days later in which you were confessing that you had been waiting for some time to see if there was any interest on my part whatsoever. And Yeah, yeah, I think that I wish you didn't live so far away. Just kind of, 
it said to me, he cares about me, he's wishing to spend more time with me. And I think in my heart, you know, I had that same longing, but was afraid to say so. Or, and maybe it was a little stronger in my heart. Maybe I, I took it <laughs> in a way that was more well, than I, has I must it. confess that my initial reaction was, oh no, I've been leading her on. I didn't <laughs> quite mean it that way. But let me give the listeners some context. This is early March of 95. Correct. And we were married in November of 95. <laughs> right. So things happened pretty darn quickly. We had been friends for three years. Things really took a turn in March of 95. We started dating at the end of that month. And uh, seven weeks later, I asked you to be my wife. Yeah. And uh, it was, there were lots of indications that we weren't crazy. I don't know if we should tell the two brick story, if that would be too, uh, too many time. details. Let's Maybe we'll save that for save another time. Two, two, two tons of bricks. I always say, Lord, if, if it's you, you got to hit me with a ton of bricks so I know it's you. And then when I stand up, you got to hit me with another ton of bricks. Mm so that uh, it's confirmed that it's you. So we'll save that story for another time. Maybe we'll do that on the next podcast. To be continued. Right. But thank you, Emmy Bong, for your question and for your interest in our, just our personal history that was, you know, God's grace at work in our lives and a beautiful gift. Thank you, Emily Bomberger, for sending that question. And thanks for you and your family being such a a big part of my life. Mm. Now, the next question from a listener, a woman named Kathy, she has a question about annulments. And I actually wonder if you would just give us a a short, what is an annulment before I even read her question that might help our listeners. Yes, I would urge people, if you want to get into more detail on what the nature of an annulment is, what makes a marriage valid or invalid, please read chapter three of my book, Good News About Sex and Marriage, which is devoted to those questions, but uh, in brief, an annulment is not a Catholic version of divorce. Divorce says you were once married and now you are no longer married. A declaration of nullity, which is the more technical and more accurate term really, a declaration of nullity is a declaration by the competent authority of the church that despite the appearance of a marriage, there was never a valid sacramental bond between the couple. Why? Why why can the church make such a statement? Well, we have some mistaken notions about marriage, that marriage is something that kind of happens to you when you wear the dress and the tux and and at some point you're zapped in the ceremony and now now you're married like some kind of a magic trick or something. No, marriage only happens if you commit to what marriage is. And in our world, especially today, when we are so confused about what marriage is, it is possible, and it happens certainly frequently enough, that a couple goes through the motions of a wedding ceremony, but they don't actually commit in their hearts to what marriage truly is. Marriage is, is in the act of the will of the couple, witnessed by a competent authority of the church. Mm-hmm. If that act of will does not really take place, if you don't really commit to what marriage is, you're not married. And if that is not witnessed by a competent authority of the church and you are a Catholic, you're also not married. So a great many of the annulment cases are what are called lack of form cases, which means a, a baptized Catholic didn't get married 
in the church with a competent church authority witnessing the exchange of vows. Mm. That's one of the main causes of a declaration of null, or mm-hmm. yeah, main reasons behind right. declarations of nullity, lack of form, it's called. Okay. Having shared that, then I'll share Kathy's spe- more okay. specific Very question good. about her situation. She says, I was married for 15 years. I've been divorced for seven years. It was an unhappy marriage with a verbally abusive husband who committed adultery. Mercy. I'm so sorry, Kathy. And she goes on, I wasn't perfect either. I wasn't a good wife. I made mistakes. And I feel I was selfish when I chose to get divorced because I wanted happiness. But my life has been anything but happy. Mm. And so she's asking, what should she do now? She says, should I try to get the annulment? Or should I pray that I can be reunited with my ex-husband? Or should I resign myself to living a single chaste life? God bless you, Kathy. Wow. Wow. Complex questions. And I can only offer a little bit of food for thought, Kathy. But I, I will hold out this. Miracles are real. Miracles are possible. I don't know all these circumstances. I don't know where your ex-husband is or what his situation is. So there's so many details that I don't know, so I can't speak into them. But I would ask you to search your heart. Uh, maybe, maybe read more about what makes a marriage valid or invalid. If you become educated in that regard, you could yourself answer more accurately whether you believe the two of you entered marriage validly. If you conclude that you did enter marriage validly, then I would, I would encourage you to pray, Lord, do you want me to be reunited with my husband? If you firmly believe you entered marriage validly, uh, and, and let, let me say this, this is very important from the church's perspective. A marriage is always assumed to be valid unless demonstrated with moral certainty otherwise. So we, we should assume at this stage of the game, Kathy, we should assume that you entered marriage validly. Is it possible after seven years for there to be a reconciliation? I think we have to hold out. Yes, it's possible because with God, all things are possible. I've heard of so-called impossible stories of reconciliation actually happening before. So it's not out of the realm of possibility. I'll just throw this out right now, or not so much throw it out, but lift it up as a prayer and as an intention. Lord, we ask if it be your will that Kathy and her, again, I'm, I'm using the language here, assuming that the marriage was valid, so I'll speak of him as your husband, even though in the court of law, he is your ex-husband. And I, I want to add this, that the church does recognize the authority of civil authorities to, to grant a, a certificate of divorce um, that doesn't change the status of the marriage in the eyes of the church if it truly was a valid sacrament. But there are situations where there may be a valid sacrament, but if it's an abusive situation or it's for the protection of the children or the protection of the wife, that uh, a, a civil divorce might be necessary for people's protection. So the church acknowledges all of that. So I don't, I'm not undermining any of that. But if indeed this marriage is valid and this man remains your husband, 
then my prayer is this, Lord, if it be your will for them to be reconciled after this seven years apart, we ask you, please open the way, open the doors. You are a God of miracles. You are a God of healing. You're a God of restoration. If you want that to be, let it be. That is my prayer. Mm. Do you want to add anything, Wendy, about what you're sensing Kathy's going through here? Yeah, I think, thank you for asking that. I, I think those are all good thoughts that you shared. And I would just add that there is a, a longing in the human heart for love that we always want to find love. And when we meet something that was meant to be love and it's not, it wounds us in any relationship. And I just pray for you, Kathy, that you can continue to grow closer to the Lord through all of this, that nothing that you've experienced in your life um, should keep you from the love that the Lord has for you, and that as you continue to experience His mercy and His faithfulness to you in your needs, large and small, that, that you'll begin to experience some joy in trusting in that He is not thwarted in bringing Ugh. about his plan for you to spend eternity with him and to know graces right now in your life for your the gifts that are unique to you to be a blessing to others in your life all these things that are very fulfilling in a life lived close to the lord so that is absolutely possible no matter what happens no matter what ha- that's right with the marriage and so i pray that for you as well as you are going forward in your life Yes, we do pray for the miracle of healing. If you discern that it was a valid marriage, but also for your own heart, even if nothing comes about with your husband. I, I want to go back to one thing Kathy said, that she, she said she believed she was being selfish in seeking the divorce because she wanted her own happiness. I, I want to just say a brief word about that yearning we all have in our hearts for happiness. There's not a human being on the planet who would not assent to the idea, I want to be happy. Mm. Uh, That, and this is right out of the Catechism of the Catholic Church, that desire for happiness is God-given. But we are often deceived about where and how to find that happiness. And we often find ourselves disillusioned when we pursue something thinking it'll bring happiness and it hasn't done so. We'll put this resource in the notes, but I would recommend it. It's a book by Father Spitzer on the different levels of happiness. I find it very, very insightful. Mm-hmm. And listen to things that, that Father Spitzer, Father Robert Spitzer, has said about the different levels of happiness. If you just Google uh, Father Robert Spitzer, levels of happiness, and read up on what he said about the different levels of happiness and why we are often deceived in our ideas of what happiness is and what it is not and how to attain it, I think you'll find it very, very illuminating. Mm, sounds excellent. I have a next question for you from another Kathy. Another Kathy, yes. okay. And this Kathy is sharing something that sort of, I think, a common experience for many of our listeners and for us as well as being in a conversation with people who don't share our faith mm-hmm. and kind of encountering some attitudes and uh, beliefs, moral stands that are shocking and overwhelming, and I didn't say the right thing, and, and that kind of situation. Right. So in this situation, Kathy was with people who were talking about how 
cheating in dating relationships had caused pain. So meaning both when they had cheated on a boyfriend mm -hmm. or someone had cheated on them. But that, I think, part of the conversation she was okay with. And then one of the people in the conversation began saying that the best way to go is polyamory, meaning let's not expect any kind of faithfulness to one another in this relationship at all. And people were talking about threesome, foursome, this is fun. And she's, Kathy says, I was kind of disgusted. But they began laughing at me and then asked, is monogamy worth it? Mm. So that was the kind of concluding question that Kathy wanted to bring to us. Is monogamy worth it? This is a deep one. Mercy, mercy. And it shows how far afield we often are. And I'm not just speaking of the people who are out there promoting, as she calls it, polyamory, love of many people, um, which is a kind of an interesting way to put it, because is it really, when we're talking about sexual acting out, is it really love or is it lust? Mm -hmm. That's a question I'll put aside for the moment. But uh, nonetheless, it, it these kind of questions, which are very real, there are plenty of people out there who are thinking monogamy's done with, it's not really worth it, let's not even strive for it anymore. So we, we can run into these situations on a, on a regular basis with our coworkers, even with people in the church who are asking similar questions because we've been so affected by the way the culture thinks today. So here's where I want to begin. Every human being, whether that human being realizes it or not, is worth real love. We can become very cynical. We can become very jaded because... In that desire that we can all recognize way down in there for real love, we get hurt, we get wounded, we get cheated on, we get betrayed. And that creates a lot of scar tissue, if you will, around mm -hmm. the heart. That creates a lot of cynicism. That creates a lot of resentment. That creates a lot of, ah, forget it, I'm not even going to try it anymore. It's just not even worth it. It's too painful. It reminds me of something I once heard, which, which to me epitomizes the cynicism that it's not really worth striving for real love. And this was from Gene Simmons, the lead singer of Kiss, <laughs> the 70s band, uh, which, like most 70s band, did the whole reunion tour. And, mm -hmm. you know, I think they did their final tour just recently. Anyway, that's a whole side issue. Don't want me to go off on that. But I do remember Gene Simmons once saying, if you don't want to get divorced, I have the perfect solution. Don't get married. Mm. It's like, don't even, don't even try. If you don't want your heart broken, don't even, don't even try. Okay, okay. I get it, but man, that's a cynical view mm -hmm. of human life. Is monogamy worth it? All right. Why does almost every human heart respond with a big smile and joy when we see that couple who's been married 60 plus years? Mm. They're still holding hands. They're still looking in each other's eyes. They're still smiling. Why does that warm the heart? Mm -hmm. 
I would like to meet somebody for whom that doesn't warm the heart. Right. I don't know that it's possible. Maybe it is. I mean, maybe people are so hardened. But nonetheless, that kind of witness of lifelong fidelity and love, we're made for that. Underneath the scars, this is what I want to hold out. Underneath those scars, which have to be acknowledged, the ways we've been wounded, the ways we've been hurt, the ways we've been betrayed, the ways we've been uh, uh, rejected, those wounds, those scars are real. But underneath it, underneath all of that, the, you might to put it into an image, you might say underneath that ash of all our hopes that have been burned down, I want to suggest there is still an ember that is a flame, and it is worth blowing onto that flame to try to kindle that flame, to try to kindle that hope, to try to awaken that yearning for authentic love that is real. Every human being is indispensable, irreplaceable, and unrepeatable. And when we live a life of just serial cheating on this person and that person, we go from one lover to the next, and I put lover in quotes because I don't think we're really learning to love. I think we're learning to use in those situations. When we just go from one person to the next, what we're really saying is human beings are dispensable. Human beings are replaceable. Human beings are repeatable. And I don't believe it. I don't believe it. I don't care if I'm the lone voice, and I know I'm not the lone voice, but even if I were to be the lone voice saying that, out of fidelity to what I know is in the core of my own being, I want to be loved. I want to be seen as someone indispensable, irreplaceable, unrepeatable. Why does it hurt so much? When somebody throws us away, uses us and throws us away because we're indispensable. Why does it hurt so much when we see our ex in love with someone else? Because we're unreplaceable. Why does it hurt so much when people treat us as as a commodity that can just be repeated? You can find another one just like it. Because I know in my heart of hearts, I'm a unique human being and I'm unrepeatable. And it's painful, it's scary to acknowledge it. But if I'm going to be honest with myself, I have to acknowledge that's where I want to be loved. I want to be seen there. I want to be known there. I want to be loved there. And I think I'm not the only one who desires that. I think every human being desires that. And I'm going to keep proclaiming it beneath those hurts, beneath those wounds beneath, that make us cynical, beneath those scars that make us cynical. There is that, that desire to be loved as a unique indispensable, irreplaceable, unrepeatable human being. And when we see that, we want it. Is monogamy worth it? Yes, it's worth it because you're indispensable, irreplaceable, and unrepeatable. And I say, don't settle. That's what I have to say about that. I love it. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks. Thank you, Wendy, for striving to see me in that way and love me in that way. You don't do it perfectly, and I don't do it perfectly for you, but we know it's real, and we know we yes. want that. And so we're willing to work through the times when we're, we're not feeling it, yes. or it's hard, or it's difficult, yes. but it's worth it. It's worth it, it's worth it, it's worth the, it. The life of the alternative life that was being promoted there is one of 
being in constant danger of rejection. And so it's one of incredible armor around the heart. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, that's not what makes us fully human, fully alive, truly joyful. As understandable as it is to put up that armor because we've been so wounded and hurt, you know what the word vulnerable means? What? You know how I like etymology. Mm-hmm. The word vulnerable comes from the Latin vulnus, which means wound. Mm. And vulnerable here means two senses you could look at. It's, it's the willingness to expose our wounds that makes us vulnerable, but also the, the willingness to take the risk that I will be wounded. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm thinking of... Some, <laughs> Various pop songs that come into my head about, you know, better to have loved and lost than never to have loved at all, or I'd rather be a fool with a broken heart than someone who, who never loved at all, or whatever those lyrics were. But it's in my head that that sentiment, it's worth the risk. Is it a risk? Heck yeah, it's a risk. Is it worth the risk? Yeah, you're worth the risk. Love is worth the risk, absolutely. Mm. In the words of the prophet Forrest Gump. That's all I have to say about that. (laughs) (laughs) And that brings us to the end of this episode of the Ask Christopher West podcast. We really appreciate your questions. Please go to askchristopherwest.com to submit them, and we will continue to answer as many as we can. We really need your support to keep this podcast going and to fund the works of a global mission to spread John Paul II's beautiful theology of the body around the world. If you feel a little nudge right now, that little Holy Spirit nudge, to be a patron of this work and to continue the great tradition of being a patron of the missions, uh, would you consider becoming a patron of the Theology of the Body Institute? There are different levels. You can start off just at $5 a month. Just as our thank you for being a patron of this work, we give you access to exclusive information, uh, exclusive videos, exclusive formation, online courses, and our exclusive online Theology of the Body Institute community where you have access to me in ways that you don't just get through the podcast or other means and other access to other educators at the Theology of the Body Institute. If that would be of interest to you, please click the link in the show notes about becoming a patron of this important work to get this message out there. We'd be so, so grateful for your support. God bless you guys, and until next time, Remember, you are a gift. Become what you are. Amen. Ask Christopher West comes to you from the Theology of the Body Institute with music by Mike Mangione and production by Sounder and Key. Christopher and Wendy hope the information presented is helpful to you, but remind you that they are not licensed counselors. If you're going through serious difficulty, you can find a list of trusted counselors and psychologists in the show notes. of the prophet Forrest Gump. Emily Bong is at, hey Bong, I thought you, I thought you were, <laughs>